Hello, I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to The Love of Cinema, a Picture House podcast proudly supported by Kia, champions of independent cinema. And oh boy, is this an episode for you. This is our special end of the year show uh, where we're going to go through our favorite films of the year, the best performing films of the year, and we are going to reveal what the Picture House members voted as their favorite movies and best performance of the year. So we've got some stats, we've got some lists, everything you could possibly need for an end of year film review. We've also got some special guests. Um, special guests from the Picture House team. First up, we've got Claire Bins. Claire, who are you and what do you do? I am Managing Director of Picture House and Picture House Entertainment. And what I like to do is watch films. It's a noble cause. We support that totally. We are also joined uh, by uh, returning special guest Carol Mackay. Hello, Carol. I am the director of programming at Picture House, and my job is to put the best films on at the best cinemas. Cool. Thank you for your work, Carol, for your service this year. We've screened a lot of films. And uh, we've also got returning guest John Perry from our end of the year episode last year. Hello, John. I'm the head of operations, so I essentially, as I said last year, aim to please Claire by ensuring that the cinemas are running efficiently and making money and that all the guests are happy as they are the most important people in this circle. Absolutely. Can't have a cinema without the audience. Um, thank you, John. And uh, brand new guest for our end of year review show, but an, uh, sort of a regular contributor on the podcast this year. Uh, we've got Izzy McLeod, who's uh, interviewed a whole bunch of people on the show already. Yeah, I'm programmer at Pitch House for what was my one year anniversary of programming yesterday. So here's to many more. We should have a cake and candles. <laughs> have a t-shirt with I survive one year at Picture House, Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we sell those in the shops, don't we? Um, <laughs> so Izzy, you've um, as well as you know, programming a whole bunch of cinemas and working on our sort of strands and special events, uh, you've been on the podcast. Who have you interviewed on the show this year? I feel bad if I forget anyone now, but I guess my two highlights were interviewing Park Chan Wook for Decision to Leave um, and abling, sort of being able to uh, sneak in a reference to Joint Security Area and also interviewing Justin Kurzel, who's probably my favourite director ever. Oh, awesome stuff. Well, it's, yeah, great to have you on the pod team. Great to have you on the programming team and congratulations on your one year at Picture House. So in the office, I guess this is a bit of an insight for listeners into what we do at Picture House. You know, we uh, we, we put on films and, and we welcome guests, but we also, you know, we, we look at what films are working and not working and we look at what audiences are watching and, and not watching. Overall, sort of Claire, how has this year been in terms of, uh, you know, a year of cinema, uh, two years on from the pandemic? Uh I would say it's still been a bit of a struggle in the early part of the year. It People took their time to come back and it's been a real upheaval the last few years and we're still feeling that. What is changing is the last two or three months, it does almost feel like things are returning to normal. But there's been so much upheaval, and we'll we'll talk about that, I'm sure, with the streamers and just everything that's gone on. It has made it challenging. However, I'm always an optimist, and it does feel like things are beginning to uh, get back, not to how they were, because things are different now, uh, but certainly there's a real appetite for cinema and film and everybody being together. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. 
Oh, that's, a, that's a great uh, overview there. And I guess, Carol, from your side, how, how has it been in terms of the choice of films, you know, and, and our slate this year? Um, are we, is, is it been a good year from your perspective? Yes. Um, I think there's been some really good films. I'm not sure they've performed in the way that they would have done if they'd been released pre-COVID. There's been a much healthier supply of the kind of films that we always enjoyed to show. I mean, the the majority of the diet at the cinema is still tent poles and sequels and things. But I actually think that there's been some really quality releases this year. I think the audiences have got slightly the lost. They don't come out when a film is released, and that's been the the difference. Really, it's trying to keep everything available to the audience as they come round to a film or the word of mouth starts to kick in and that's the biggest difference post-covid i think a lot of a lot of plates uh, to spin there uh, for sure uh, what, what have you sort of learned this year is, is your first sort of year of uh, programming you know has it been sort of eye-opening or you know, any, any any sort of key learnings yeah i guess because it's a strange one to start programming sort of after a lockdown that had such a big impact on how people go to the cinema sort of this is the only sort of cinema world I'm used to working in, but I agree the last few months have sort of seen a great improvement. I think there's, it's nice to see when releases can still surprise, sort of how After Sun has performed was a really nice surprise to see at the end of the year. And I guess, as Carol said, it's it's about giving people the chance for word, like that word of mouth to spread. Um, I think one of the recent ICO screening days, they found word of mouth was the most important thing for most audience members. I don't know if that's people sort of, I think maybe a bit of a backlash against critics maybe at the moment, but I think people trust what other their friends and family are saying most for films. And they need that time, a few weeks to figure out what they want to see and who's seen it and who's enjoyed it. Absolutely. Word of mouth, always a, always a winner. And, and John, you probably see that, I guess, you know, from your sort of side of things, the day-to-day is with the customers actually in the venues. Um, how has it been, you know, just sort of seeing how the cinemas are on the floor this year? Well, it's, I'm not going to lie to you. It's been a very tough year, and Claire hit on it earlier. The start of the year wasn't particularly very good. It sort of picked up with Batman a little bit, and then we're, we're all aware that Maverick played really well for the for the majors, and it did okay for us as well. And then there was a bit of a lull then, and then really, I suppose, after the summer, what we saw was a little bit more picture house films coming out. And I guess from Mrs. Harris onwards for me is when we saw the older customer coming back. And then we saw a real diverse mix of uh, of all ages with uh, Decision to Leave and with the Banshees of Inishirin coming out. And, you know, on the floor, what we've seen is a real mix. It's a really good vibe at the moment. But the films are right for us. And it feels right. It's not quite where it used to be, as Carol said, but it, it's heading in the right direction, which is pleasing to see. I, I think that, you know, just on that, I think things have changed in terms of people's attention to the critics. is very different now, as Izzy said. I, I think that often what critics say is not how people choose to go and see a film necessarily, that they'd rather hear from a friend or someone that's seen it and I think that's a change that's beginning to take place even more that you trust your friends (laughs) 
So, and, and how that's going to um, develop. And I think there's lots of things that are going to be changing over the next couple of years. What hasn't changed is that people do love to see a film in a cinema with their friends. Me and Carol talks about it often in, through the year, sort of the amount of people that come out to rep films, uh, or, you know, older films that they've seen, but they've never seen on the big screen. And them sort of taking, wanting that cinematic experience for even sort of older films as well. And I think you definitely see that even with newer films that if people have the choice between sort of Elvis streaming on HBO Max or it's still in the cinema, they might choose to see it in the cinema for that experience. No, definitely. I think we saw that um, actually maybe uh, late last year and early this year with The French Dispatch, which Picture House seemed to play for about three months. And it was well on Disney Plus by that point. But people actually preferred, in our venues at least, to sort of come out. Maybe it was a repeat viewing. They'd already seen it, but they wanted to see it on the big screen uh, to sort of drink in all the detail. But I think that's great. You know, if you've got that choice, but you're still choosing to come to the cinema and that power of leaving a film on long enough where there's space. Um, and that's word of mouth. You know, seeing French Dispatch in week 12 is totally a word of mouth decision. Well, that's been hard, though, hasn't it, over the last few months uh, with the amount of films that are coming out to keep things on, to work them? Because we're now entering probably the first Oscar race that's significant for two or three years that people in a way might have to be a bit more alert to come and see the films because we're not going to be able to keep them on quite as long. We'll do our very best and obviously it helps with the the cinemas that have more screens we'll be able to keep shows going but um, there's such a feast of delights coming up that uh, just say to say to people listening to the podcast get out there quickly you might miss it let's go somewhere new see worlds we've never seen before so that we can feel inspired whether you're sitting in a cinema or in one of our cars inspiration comes when we feel something new that's why our electrified range is designed to take you on inspiring journeys. Kia, proud supporter of independent cinema. Kia, movement that inspires. Uh, so I've got the UK top 10 uh, in front of me and we're recording this on the 14th of December. So there's a, a couple of small films coming out, something called Avatar, the something of something. But uh, I, I know, Carol, you know, you sort of look at the results each year, I guess just to... Um, spin quickly down the list and then if there's sort of anything that you know you would expect to see on here or anything that really stands out as a surprise uh, in the UK overall number 10 is Elvis and then we've got Black Panther at number nine Black Panther 2 Spider-Man No Way Home which opened last year but sort of played throughout January and February is in at number eight uh, and then Sing 2, which was a January opening um, in during like sort of you know, peak Omicron times, is in at number seven. Uh, sort of quite a surprise. Uh, and then Jurassic World to Dominion, uh, big summer release, number six. Four Eleven Thunder, another big summer release from Marvel, uh, number five. The Batman, March opening, number four. Doctor Strange, number three. Minions 2, The Rise of Gru at number two. And then number one in the UK is Top Gun Maverick, £86 million at the box office. Um, can you remember, Carol, when we, I guess we were going into this year looking at the slate? Is this sort of what you would expect to be in the top ten now? Uh, yes, I suppose so. Based on what was made available to cinemas this year that's a pretty bog standard multiplex top 10 I think 
we uh, translated that audience a little bit for Batman. I mean, Batman's a standout for me in that top 10. I just, I just thought it was just a great, classy, well-made, well, uh, you know, everything about it, music, production values. It was a really classy offer from DC. Seeing that on a big screen was quite something. Um, and Top Gun Maverick as well. I mean, I didn't fancy that at all. I'm not interested in, I didn't like Top Gun back in the day, but it was great. It was, it was just the right side of cheese. It was great to see on the big screen. So it delivered, but that for me is a very limited top 10. <laughs> which I wish, I wish there were some other titles that are on my top 10 of this year that had made it. I think the other thing is though that Minions took what, 46 million and Maverick took 83 or whatever. <laughs> I mean, there's a big leap between the first and the second. And I, I'd sort of agree with Carol with Top Gun. It just, it caught the right moment about the power of entertaining cinema and it sort of all the elements were there it hit the spot didn't it really good morning aviators this is your captain speaking and we're off here we are in three two one It was exhilarating. I had an absolute blast with that film. I took my dad, and we don't, he doesn't go to the cinema very often, maybe once or twice a year. But he he made a play for Maverick. He's like, will you take me to see this? Getting him up the, the stairs to the auditorium was a mission. <laughs> but then uh, he sat down. And I just looked at his face throughout the film, and his mouth was wide open. Yeah, his eyes were still open, so he wasn't asleep. But he um, <laughs> he was having... An absolute blast. My dad was loving it. And he turned around to me at the end. And he was like, son, that was absolutely blooming fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, I think that made the experience. The fact I was watching something with my dad and we don't really, like I say, don't really go very often. I, I had a really good time with it. It was a time. bonding experience for a lot of people, I think. He was my wingman on that screening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Top Gun sort of surprised me just like I, we're, we're seeing so many like belated sequels at the moment and you're like do we need a sequel to Top Gun like as the moment passed like Carol I don't really like the first one I think the first one's a bit boring especially in Tony Scott's oeuvre like he's made Crimson Tide and then we have to watch Top Gun all the time but <laughs> Top Gun Maverick is one of those rare sequels which is better than the original and I think it captured the moment people wanted something fun and uplifting you know, especially after the last few years we've all had. And exciting. Well, it was. It was all happening outdoors. We've all been stuck in front of the box for months. So it was just, you were able to travel, weren't you? Um, and, and be in a plane like that. It was just, it was pretty impressive. I was, yeah, the plane sequences. Oh, you know, when you're just sitting there watching him and you could see it was him. And in the back of your head, you're thinking, oh, I wish that was me. 
But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was crazy, just crazy looking at those scenes when they were, and they're actually in the play, and it's, it's unbelievable. It captured that Mission Impossible vibe as well. You know, Tom Cruise has become you know the de facto stuntman as well as a leading actor, and like he, you know, all of that sort of the stuff we know because it's in the press how he likes to do his own stunts on Mission Impossible and he'll literally fling himself on any, on off anything um, you know for a bit of cash and uh, in Top Gun <laughs> he brought that in you know uh, totally well that was a reason to see it CGI is all well and good but when you see the real thing there's nothing like it and uh, it, it is just that sort of man on wire exhilaration I think that plays into the word of mouth doesn't it because like the film was fun and you'll never believe it, but they actually flew him up in a plane. You know, he actually did all this stuff, and and all of the actors are acting in planes. Uh, you know, which is 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 wild. And everything else on the list, the Marvels and Jurassic World. You know, they're big special effects extravaganzas. Like they celebrate the fact that there is CGI uh, and whatnot in there. But um, but yeah, Top Gun sort of towed its own line. But it's yeah, amazing result though. Eighty six million uh, pounds uh, there and double anything else. There's so many films around 30, 40 million in that top list, but then Top Gun's, you know, miles and miles away. Um, so that's that's what the I guess the general public at the UK were doing. But at Picture House, a different picture. So there's a few similarities. Picture House is top ten for sort of just paying admits. Um, you know, anyone coming through the doors, members included, but also everybody else. Number ten is Black Panther, which is in the UK top ten. But then we already get some differences at nine and eight. We got the Duke. Um, in at number nine, a big February opening, and then Living at number eight, which is quite a recent one. We got Everything Everywhere All at Once at seven, which is not in the UK top ten, but a big, uh, you know, sort of uh, phenomenon of a movie, especially on social media this year. Licorice Pizza, I think it opened on like New Year's Day. That's in at number six. And then another recent one, Banshees of Inshirin, number five. Elvis, uh, which I think is number ten in the UK, number four at Picture House. Batman at number three, you know, we do love superhero movies at Picture House, but we, I think we like the darker, more grown-up ones, um, and Batman's there at number three, and then Belfast at number two, and Top Gun at number one, that's what we do share with the UK Top Ten. How does the Picture House Top Ten look, um, you know, from, from your side, Izzy? Oh, love, I love how many, uh, like, great directors are in there. It seems like that's our sort of cinematic universe, is seeing the new releases by directors everyone loves. Like you got the sort of you know PTAs and you got um, Martin McDonough. All of these these are our for them. That's the superheroes <laughs> that they keep coming back to see. Absolutely. Are you uh, you sort of happy with that result, Carol? Yes. Uh, there's a few omissions, but um... what are they, Carol? Yeah. What are you? Wow. <laughs> How long have you got? <laughs> um, uh, after some could probably have pushed a bit. But I think Banshees and Elvis are just. They were great, real standout movies on their own. But I think that, and Batman, obviously, where we match up. Living is a fine film. It really is. Living is beautiful. It's great. I was very worried about Carol seeing Elvis because back in the day, Carol used to be, talk about Elvis being one of her favourites of all time. And I thought, oh my God, what's she going to think of it? Oh my God, oh my goodness. But, and you took your time, you took your time seeing it. I did take my time. <laughs> when the trailer dropped, I famously said, I look more like Elvis than Austin Butler. <laughs> it's true, it's true. And it I take it all back because he was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. It was a 
amazing, brilliant performance, really moving performance. And it's Baz at his best, I think, with all those bells and whistles. It was just a complete treat. Reverend once told me, when things are too dangerous to say, sing. I'm on before the show, and nobody's gonna remember me. I need to get back to who I really am. And who are you, Oz? So I apologise, Austin Butler, you're the best. <laughs> Sincerely, Carol. Sincerely. If Carol says that, then, you know, I I really was so, so nervous. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm just, I think that's a real seal of approval. The Carol seal <laughs> of approval. I think that list is pretty good. It sort of represents, you know, all of the sort of great stuff we do at Picture House. You know, we can play a tent pole, um, you know, in a really nice, you know, sort of setting. Uh, you know, you can enjoy a, a, you know, posh glass of wine or, you know, some interesting snacks uh, alongside it and, and it can be very welcoming. But we can also, you know, get films like Living and The Duke, uh, Banshees of Insurance to a big audience. And and that's sort of a bit of a, a Picture House superpower, I think, like really, you know, sort of getting people into quality cinema. But there's two glaring omissions, I think, and that is Nightmare Alley and Nope. Nope is a big omission, I think. How? Where did Nope actually sit? I'm surprised. I was a bit surprised. I thought I'd see it at like nine or ten. I think both of them had bad openings, maybe due to like release date sort of times. Nightmare Alley was one of those weird ones where it opened in the US and all of the press around it was in sort of like November, December and we got it in January and it didn't seem to survive like the Christmas uh, break uh, in, in a way. Although I agree, Carol, it was a really great movie and they did that black and white version of Nightmare Alley, uh, which is really stunning. And I love Nope. Nope is on my top 10 of the year. But again, that summer opening, I think it got overshadowed by like everything else going on, like repeat viewings of Top Gun Maverick and the hot weather and all of that stuff. It opened during that crazy heat wave when it was like 36 degrees in the UK. It has been, as I said, I think it's a bit of a funny year because things haven't quite worked out as you'd expect. It does sort of feel more normal now in the way that films perform. I think in also, I think Jordan Peele, his, all his films are amazing, but I think he suffers from everyone wants to get out again, but that's obviously not what he's interested in making. It's something much, he's interested in making films that are much, you know, building on that and people just want him to make Get Out too. it seems. I saw it in the cinemas twice, the film. <laughs> I dragged all my friends to it and I think it was, yeah, really great. Just really, yeah, suffered scenes on release and I think the reviews weren't as strong as they could be. I really struggled with Nope. Nope was not dope for me, I have to be honest with you. It's just completely different to anything else out there. It's just was so different. Doesn't necessarily make it good though. It does though. Oh, let's I have mean, a it's... heated debate. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're doing this as a remote recording. <laughs> um. <laughs> I thought it was amazing. I think it's probably my favourite of his three films. I just there's two really disturbing sequences, like genuinely disturbing. It's 
completely different. It's just totally out there and it's got Daniel Kaluuya in it. I mean, it's just tick, tick, tick. You are gonna witness an absolute spectacle. So what happens next? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Here we go. I think it is a hard one to market and that might be where it sort of struggled. Like a lot of the films in the top 10 are like either like known properties from like, you know, previous movies or maybe it's like an easier conceit. But I, I you know, I always love an ambitious film and Nope's like a glorious homage to Steven Spielberg, in my opinion. And, and it is really ambitious and it rewards repeat viewing. Second viewing of that film, like just added an extra star for me. It's a, it's a shame in the year where, you know, a few weird things really did break through as well when you've got everything everywhere that, are, you know, films that are trying things different are working, just not all of them. So let's go on to the Picture House members, which are just what our members specifically seen. So if you're listening to this, uh, you may be aware of Picture House has a very generous membership scheme, uh, which gets you free tickets and discounts and previews and, and all sorts of good stuff. Typically a very dedicated and, you know, like cinema literate audience. And, uh, and and we've got a lot of the sort of films we've already talked about on the list. So uh, The Batman is on there, but a bit lower down for the members. Number eight, Licorice Pizza, number seven, Elvis six, The Duke, uh, however, is up five. So higher living is higher at number four. We've also got Operation Mincemeat at number 10. Remember that film mm-hmm. from March? <laughs> um, members came out in, in a big number for Operation Mincemeat. And that played for about nine months in our cinema. <laughs> uh, so we got Operation Mincemeat there, um, uh, which I did watch, but it was sort of like, you know, not not for me, I don't think, but quite a comforting watch of lots of famous actors who I recognised. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once is our number nine. So yeah, members enjoyed that. And then the top three films for members, number one, Belfast, Kenneth Branagh's BAFTA winning film, Banshees of Inchirin at number two, and then Top Gun Maverick at number three. How do you feel about our members' choices, Claire? I have to be honest, Belfast was not a film that I... It didn't do it for me, I'm afraid. I'm very happy to see Banshees in there, which is one of my favourite films of the year, certainly in my top 10, and Top Gun. But I think what it says is it's a great mix. I mean, Belfast might not be for me, but the fact that we've got a really popcorn, the popcorn movie to end all popcorn movies, the wonderful Martin McDonough, and then Belfast in there. What a top three. It says a lot about our very good taste of our members. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, how about you, Carol? Anything that stands out from that members uh, list of films? We probably feel like the audience that's coming to Picture House is, is a bit younger than it was before pre-COVID, but that list would suggest that that's not actually true without a couple of outliers in there. I mean, The Duke and Living and Belfast, they all play older. Everything Everywhere is probably the one that's the kind of bridge to it all, I suppose. I think Banshees, for me, is the the kind of perfect picture house offer in that top ten. It's just for everybody, isn't it? It's just brilliant, Banshees. The, the sort of tally up with uh, your experience, John, of uh, sort of seeing who's coming through the doors. Yeah, it, it it is. It's a good mix, to be honest with you. I don't want to start um, saying I hated this and I hated that because I'm mindful that but you're it's going easy for to. me to slip into that. 
But I'm going to say that I thought out of all of the films in the top 10 that were really Picture House was definitely Licorice Pizza and definitely Banshees for me. As what I said, I'm always spending most of my time in central London. And those two are the ones that really stood out. Um, with everything everywhere, and I'm going to say this, and you're going to hate me, I really struggled with it. And I went in there so excited. So did I. What? I went in there so excited. And I'm a huge, a huge Hong Kong action fan. And I love Michelle Yeoh. But what? It was, it was just too full on and, and too messy. And it had that silly ending. And Hang on. It's not. It's just repetitive. It's repetitive. You know the bit at the end, if you can remember, the, the credits ended and then it started again. I just wish it had ended at that bit, to be honest. I did have enough of it. But that's that's it. But other than that, yeah, it's a pretty good top ten for our for our members. It's pretty good. Very diverse. I like it. Is, is there anything else on that list, um, you know, maybe things that you've noticed from programming your venues uh, at Picture House um, in our members' admits list? Yeah, I guess, I mean, sort of a uh, shout-out to my... <laughs> My local picture house, which is Bromley, which I think probably would have a top 10 that pretty much matches that one. Except I think Elvis would be higher. I'm pretty sure I played that. Did Elvis come out May? I was still playing that in September. So um, love a good sort of music. I mean, I went to see it. It really did actually win me over. I was, I'm, I've was, i seen all of Baz's work mostly against my will. And I uh, sort of uh, was like going in ready to hate it. And it, it won me over. So... I think a lot of these films, even the ones I'm the same boat, Belfast wasn't for me at all, but I always go by what I show my dad and he would love all of those films in the top three, even the ones he's uh, haven't he hasn't seen yet or he has. I mean, I took him to see Banshees at LFF and I've never seen a sort of six-year-old man laughing harder than him during <laughs> pretty much every scene. What's the, when he's dancing with his dog, what's the line, Carol? that Colin Farrell has. Are you dancing with your dog, Fatty? Yes. <laughs> Just slays him in the aisles. I love for about 10 minutes. <laughs> now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You didn't like me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite. It was me pony shite, which shows how much you were listening. A lot of these, they're good cinema films, aren't they? Like, these are good films to watch with an audience. And I think I was lucky enough to see some of these at Pitch House. Like, I saw Belfast on opening weekend at Pitch House Central, and it was sold out. Like, it was amazing to see, like, people were coming out. And that was, like, peak Omicron sort of scare as well at the beginning of the year. But, you know, people wanted to come and see that film. And same with Elvis. I saw at East Dulwich Picture House, my local. And it was busy, screen one, showing, opening weekend. And, like, people loved it. Like, everyone was, like, chatting afterwards. It was really electric. So I, I'm really glad I got to see those in those settings. But, yeah, I guess whether you love them or hate them, they're good films to chat about, which is that word of mouth thing we spoke about earlier. Exactly. And I think Belfast, although it wasn't my particular cup of tea it did bring people out they were excited to come to the cinema and so i'm very grateful for mr kenneth branner for that he does love a cinematic experience for sure <laughs> uh, one of the two kenneth branner films uh, this year but death on the nile does not feature uh, on any of our uh, lists that was quite a good audience participation film for different reasons i think <laughs> <laughs> the uh, i want to fill the nile with champagne line really slayed at my screening <laughs> 
I guess like our, our sort of final list and a list that I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of really proud of. We always do a members poll at the end of the year and, and a staff poll to go alongside it. And we email out everybody on the system and ask them to vote for just one film. So, you know, it's no none of this like wishy-washy give us your 10 best films. One film uh, for 2022. And, and then we sort of assemble a chart. Here's Izzy's moment. <laughs> <laughs> so in at number 10, and actually Izzy, a film you've mentioned already on the show, is Decision to leave um that came in at number 10 uh, they're nice to see uh park chan wook represented nice to see korean cinema uh, which has been so popular in recent years uh, represented on our list also decision to leave guys i thought a wonderful wonderful film i loved that film that was great we got licorice pizza uh, which we've seen on the list in at number nine um which is impressive because that film opened in january so there's a portion of our members who have been like licorice pizza in january is the film to beat uh, and that's made at number nine elvis at number eight and then we've got the Palm Door winner, Triangle of Sadness, uh, in at number seven. Uh, something that hasn't come up in our box office, but I think has done quite well at Picture House. Is, is, is that fair to say, Carol? Yep, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, uh, uh, again, probably got slightly affected by keeping a film like that on as, as the word of mouth trickles down. Like something else trickled down in that film as well, if you've seen that sequence on the boat. <laughs> But, oh my God. Thank you, John, for lowering the tone. <laughs> the tone. <laughs> what surprised me about Triangle of Sadness is a lot of my friends who aren't really filmy people have been asking me about it. And in my mind, like, this is, you know, like, it's a very highfalutin, you know, can Palm Door winning film. But something about the marketing, and maybe it's the, you know, the sort of uh, the scenes John's talking about is out there in the public consciousness. Oh, yeah, that neon poster is excellent. That particular neon poster of Triangle of Sadness of, yeah, well, you'll know it if you Google it. <laughs> Number six is After Sun, uh, which is still playing at Picture House, but uh, has made an impact with the members uh, to get it in there at number six. Uh, again, one that hasn't come in on the top 10 sort of stuff uh, in terms of financials, but it is still playing and I think it will probably play for a fair bit longer. I think the one thing I'd say about that is that Picture House really got behind that film in a way that other cinemas didn't. And I think everybody felt very strongly that it was a great film and the audience wanted to see it. And I think Picture House, more than any other group of cinemas, put it on and played it. And we've done exceptionally well with it. It's left a huge impact, like very affecting. I think people people finding it you know, quite sad and, and uh, sort of celebrating in that, that sort of emotion. I've seen people sobbing at the end of screenings and you know going down the escalators of Picture House Central <laughs> in tears. But, you know, power of cinema is moving. Um, in at number five, uh, a film that again opened earlier in the year, Worst Person in the World, which I think did quite well at Picture House. So I think that we sort of championed. Definitely did very well. Number four is Living, uh, which you talked about. Uh, I'd love this film so much, uh, starring Bill Nye. Um, and then number three, Top Gun. So even though it's the most popular film in terms of admits and, and box office Top Gun, not the member's favourite, but a very worthy number three. Uh, and then Banshees is number two, Banshees of Inchirin, which we've, we've sort of talked about. Still playing in cinemas will probably move up the box office a bit higher. But number one, Izzy. Izzy, what was number one? Everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think by quite a large margin as well, relatively. Yes, yeah, notably, notably, like, you know, uh, there's a good distance between that and Banshees of Inchirin. 
Is that all the votes from the multiverse, Sam? All the different votes <laughs> from all the different multiverses? The ones from rocks, ones from um, people with hot dog fingers. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, like based on based on what we've seen as you know performing, you know, members' top film in terms of admits is Belfast, but the uh, you know when it comes to choosing that one you know, singular moment, it's been everything, everywhere, all at once. I don't know what, what there's uh, strong feelings about this film on this call, uh, but what do you make of that, Izzy? You go first. I adored the film. I've seen it twice now. Uh, I went to see it. At- at uh, Cineworld at the uh, uh, the O2 one in a fully sold out screening, and I mean I pretty much probably maybe half an hour from the end I was weeping and would not stop. It's just uh, had multiple tissues with me. I kept pulling them out. This is Wang. This is Wang. This is Wang. Are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. As a film, I I, I get it in terms of length because I, I find, yeah, some films are just too long. And if there was a trim to be made to those, this film, there probably would be in those places you can point out. But just in terms of the relationship between sort of a mother who wants the best for her daughter, but a daughter who is sort of queer and the mum can't accept that, but not in a overt way, just in a way that is clearly born of fear and worry is really touched me and I... When it went on to digital, I forced my mum to watch it <laughs> just to uh, complete the circle. But I know that there is a programmer in the office who's seen it five times in the cinema, I think. I think it says a lot about our audience at films like like that and like uh, Decision to Leave and Worst Person in the World. I think it's it's quite a cool list and possibly says something about a new sort of generation of people that are coming back to the cinema and are choosing Picture House and seeing these films that speak to them who are in sort of you know, late 20s to mid 30s. I think no particularly worst person, I think also falls into that category. So yeah, that's kind of what I see in those films. And After Sun as well, of course, that's, you know, another one that I think speaks to a certain age groups, um, but kind of speaks to both as well. It's almost like these two generations coming together in these films. Yeah, I think there's a lot of good word of mouth on, on those films and, and great marketing campaigns with ones you mentioned. Everything Everywhere All at Once was kind of a phenomenon because they built up so much buzz online. I don't know if you can like sort of remember before we saw it and how we felt about it, but that trailer was really cool. You know, they did loads of good stuff. It was sort of a, a, a bit of a, a product of that A24, you know, sort of hype machine that they're, they're sort of very good at doing. But uh, but interesting, it wasn't for everybody. You know, I, I think the expectations were quite high on that movie. You know, found its audience though because we played it for so long. It was like on all summer. Claire, John Carroll, anything to say on everything ever all at once uh, being our top movie? Oh, I really wanted I really wanted to like it. I'm so sorry. Uh, maybe I need to go back and watch it, but I like I said just didn't land for me. Claire, over to you. I, I mean, it didn't do it for me, but I think Izzy talks about it very eloquently and I think that the most important thing is it did touch people. It did get people into the cinema meant something to them. And what we're about is playing films that mean something to people. So just because you don't particularly like a film, there's never been a reason that we shouldn't play it. It's about 
giving people films that are thoughtful, intelligent, fun, and that they will see something of themselves in it. So I'm delighted that it did so well. It just didn't do it for me. Do you think um, Everything Ever All at Once has got a future as sort of a rep title, Carol? Might this come back in, you know, sort of seasons and strands down the line? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) I just just feel that it's one of those kind of, I don't know, zeitgeisty kind of films that just, um, I don't know. I'm with Claire and John on this. I just, uh, there's nothing in it that, I'm, you know, I would love all of those elements, but you put it all together and it just goes on and on and on and it just becomes just like a, I don't know, it's like a fever dream, isn't it, after a while? And I just I just got worn out by it. And um, I think I have seen films like that over the years and I, I don't know, I just don't know whether... Uh, I, th- I think the A24 element of it is the most crucial part. They're, they're just so great at tapping into that vein of currency, aren't they? And getting in front of people. And it just got a life of its own. Um, and, and thank God for it, because we played it all through the summer. I, I know, I, I mean, just on, on A24, they do have that sort of magic fairy dust at the moment. But I remember we had... Um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies as our surprise film at Sundance London. And when the A24 logo came up, people were cheering and clapping. Yeah, clapping and cheering, and yeah. It, they do have, at the moment, they are the the company that people are very excited about. So, you know, they, they have got that magic fairy dust at the moment with... Uh, not all of their films. Some of them disappear without trace. But I was going to say um, we had we had cheering at "Come on, Come on," and that's a film that did not leave much of a mark after the surprise film at LFF. Yeah, exactly. And of course, men got obliterated by everything everywhere, didn't they? But you only remember the ones that really take off, and and I think that that's the the thing, you know. And we've got the whale coming up next year, which uh, is an A twenty four film, which again I think. Whatever you think of the film, what A24 do with it will be something special because they're concentrating all their efforts on it and getting that Oscar for Brendan. Yes, well, yeah, without a doubt. Um, what is it? Isn't it the biggest limited release this year for them? Is is now it's come out in America? Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. I mean, to say on Bodies, Boys, Boys is a shame because that was a really good film that I think a lot of people missed that is not as much as a horror as I think, like, you know, as it was marketed here. And it's yeah, a really decent film. Yeah, I think there's been two, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies and Barbarian. They're both really films that perhaps didn't do as much as I would have hoped because they're both great films. I do wonder on the impact of sort of that um, delay between US and UK release where the US, at least like I know Barbarian, the weekend it opened here, it went onto digital in the US. So instantly is available online. And I do wonder the impact that has on these releases. I would have hoped, I would like to think it would have done better for us than, than it did, because it's such a smart, original film, which I, you know, we we didn't manage to keep it going long enough for people to really find it. It made me jump that more than anything else I saw this year that did Barbarian, because I wasn't expecting it. 
and I almost spilt my drink down my top. <laughs> and that one sequence, you know what I'm on about. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I hope you didn't get it on the the cinema seats. I don't want us to have to. Uh... Claire, I didn't see it at a picture house. You're okay. We're all good. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> you good. make as much mess as you like. Um, <laughs> we uh, we also asked the uh, picture house staff their favourite films, and a lot of them, I guess maybe reassuringly, are in line with our, our customers, our members. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Also, top of the staff poll. But there are a couple of different films on there, and just wanted to highlight Nope and The Northman are on our staff poll. So, Carol, Nope has made it onto a list on this episode. It was with the staff. The staff, actually, I think, for, especially from marketing, really got behind you know, doing artwork for this film, chalkboards, getting into the spirit and the Jordan Peele uh, you know, sort of mystique uh, on this, which is really great. You know, Again, that word of mouth is so important, and it's always great if a member of staff can recommend a good film to you. Uh, so, Nope is in at number six on the staff poll. And The Northman, a film we haven't talked about yet, one of my favorites of this year, in at number eight. Um, it got overshadowed, I think, by so many other things. But uh, I had a good time with the Northman. Uh, any other Northman fans on the call? Or am I am I a single Northman? <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it, but I thought it was going to be better. Sorry, Carol. Remember last year you called him Dave Eggers, but we'll go back to Robert Eggers, his real name. Um, <laughs> yes, because Dave Eggers is better. <laughs> I thought it was his worst film, but I enjoyed oh. it. I enjoyed it a lot. I think that's a fair take, yeah. It's, it's like, yeah, gloriously ambitious. Doesn't always hit the marks, but... It was an interesting experience. I'd rather have Kirk Douglas in The Vikings, I'm afraid. Oh, come on. Now we're talking, Claire. Now we're talking. <laughs> it's just this like mad, bombastic film, like Bjork's a witch. It ends with like a, two naked men wrestling uh, on a volcano. You know, like it's, it's nuts. And it was like released by Universal Studios. <laughs> now, behold... He's here. He's here. Mother! Father is here! The king, my lady. The king. Your fate is set and you cannot escape it. How oh, I've missed you, my son. One day this kingdom will be yours. Thank you, Father. My king. <laughs> Was it an A24 jobby, though? No, I think it's Focus. I think it was like one of their most expensive. I think, like, you know, sadly, maybe they uh, they gave him the keys to the kingdom and he made uh, made he this bananas film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they looked at the guy who made the lighthouse and went, yeah, you can make a straightforward blockbuster. It'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Little did they realise. He hasn't gone to direct a jail out of it, though, has he? Because it, it it's done really well on VOD, yeah. apparently. That's the... Yeah. yeah, but it works really well theatrically. I mean, I, I remember them saying what they, their target was, and I was thinking, you'll be lucky. And then it just <laughs> kept chugging along because they missold it. it was, they kept saying, what wasn't it, Gen Z's Gladiator or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, it was such a con job, but it worked. Yeah, it had that sort of awkward mainstream it was on the side of buses like this film is bananas and they're doing it on the side of buses um but uh but you're right they did something you know right to to get it to that number um but yeah i think that one it hasn't really made it onto a lot of sort of top 10 lists and probably won't be in the awards conversation but um i would recommend people checking out the north man um fun bonkers sort of filmmaking there 
Yeah, and then everything else on the staff list is, is things we talked about already. Top Gun Maverick is on there, Banshees of Engineering, Worst Person, Licorice Pizza, uh, and then a few films tied at the end, like uh, Belfast, Bones and All, Decision to Leave, uh, Glass Onion. Uh, we got to play a Knives Out film this year from Netflix, uh, just follow up to Knives Out, uh, Glass Onion, uh, which was a really good time. And, and that had that sort of challenging release of only being allowed to play for one week. And how stupid was that? Because everybody wanted to see it in the cinema and although it's fantastic that we could do this but it just does not make sense that it came off after a week when people were loving it and it's such a cinema film Um, and I'm sure it would have done a lot better for Netflix if they had done a proper release on the film but I think there's games being played at the expense of audiences seeing the film, sadly. And it's a shame, really, because it's a it's a real shared experience, Glass Onion, because when you watch it with an audience, it really makes a film because it is laugh out loud. I had an absolute blast with that, more than I thought it was going to have. And it's just a shame that it disappeared after a week, but there you go. Still, it's a good start, and hopefully there'll be lots of uh, films that we will be able to show and audiences will be able to enjoy. Um, But it is a shame because it was such a great film to see with your mates in the cinema with a box of popcorn. Yeah, I got to see it at Clapham Picture House in screen one, which was great. And uh, the guy next to me was like doubled over laughing, like just having a whale of a time <laughs> uh, watching this film. So I just wanted to check he was okay. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's the sort of joy of, of cinema. So maybe, maybe I know there's a third Knives Out in production, so maybe we'll get to play that one for a little bit longer. Okay, we are in the end game, folks. Um, but I'd love to know what your top three films of the year were. Um, and we can see if we've got any similarities or not. Um, Claire, do you want to take us away with this one? Okay, well, I'm talking about sheer enjoyment here, not about the quality of the film. But the th- ones that blew me away were RRR, the action adventure by SS. Rajamoli, um, which was action, adventure, dance, music, Bollywood at its best. Absolutely loved it. Licorice Pizza, just because it was warm and funny and intelligent. And I just loved the characters. And then the other one, which disappeared without trace, but I absolutely adored it, was the Hamaguchi film Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy which uh, is three stories, which is full of just delight watching that. So those would be my top three of the year. Great cinema films there. Uh, RRR, a real phenomenon. And uh, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy following Hamaguchi's win for Drive My Car last year, one of the awards favourites. And then we got spoiled by having two of his films so close together. Um, A a strong list. Thank you very much, Claire. Carol, what would make your top three? Well, I've banged on about it a lot, so I won't say go into it again, but nope. Um, uh, Nope. And Nightmare Alley, which I just thought was like, sort of like a perfect film actually I just I think Del Toro is just he is one probably my favorite director Um, but to to remake that Tyrone Power film like that I mean Bradley Cooper is so good in it and uh, it's just a a beautiful scary cinematic 
just treat and I just wish more people had gone to see it like that because it's just amazing and then I'm a bit torn because I've got four films that I've sort of loved equally but I think I'm going to plump for Emily just because Emily hasn't had a shout and I thought Emily was an amazing British I know Izzy sees it completely differently to me but I just I thought it was clever and well done I thought um, I forget the actress's name, the one from Sex Education. She was just hypnotic and it's a sexy kind of, um, yeah, it's great, Emily. It was just, a. I just think the marketing was a bit off and people didn't quite know what it was, but... Good shout, Carol. I wish more people had got to see that, but yeah, they're my top three. I, I have to say, I, I think the advertising put people off because I had to tell people who'd seen the trailer and didn't like the look of it. And I said, you must go and see it. And a couple of friends went to see it and really, really enjoyed it. Cool. No, that's great. Emily, I know, is one that sort of we managed to play for a little bit longer at Picture House and people did sort of eventually start to seek it out. But you're right, it didn't really have a good start, uh, you know, with, with the way it was launched. It got, yeah, it didn't open well and then it suffered for that because we still use that pre-COVID logic of... of what something takes on a weekend to to fill your screens but we I, I know we played it at Finsbury Park for for weeks and weeks and weeks and, and you could see people were coming to it after the word of mouth had kicked in but it was for people that like like Greta Gerwig and it's not just you know it was a sort of fresh look at um Somebody that actually we don't know anything about. Nobody knows much about Emily Bronte. So she made it all up and it was brilliant. <laughs> I wish well, she was like that. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a win. That's a great recommendation. Thank you, Carol. Uh, John, what would make your top three? It's really hard. There's been so many good films. I, I think I have to go with Top Gun, Top Gun as my number one just because it was a real cinematic, immersive joy. I think my second one that I enjoyed, I probably laughed the most, was The Banshees. Uh, that's a great, oh, very uh, bit of a downer, but also laugh out loud. And then the third one, I'm sort of tied between Licorice Pizza and All Quiet on the Western Front, which oh, that oh, was that brilliant. Really, that that really affected brilliant me. That film. film really affected me, and it's a shame that should have had a proper theatrical. It release should have, Claire. Absolutely, that film would have taken a lot of money and made a lot of people very happy to see it in the cinemas properly, proper release, because it's a masterpiece. It does feel like like yeah, people have kind of slept on that one because of the way it just sort of landed on Netflix, but it is in the awards conversation, so maybe next year... I don't know, people might might you know be pointed in the right direction at least to go and watch it. But yeah, kind of a weird one to choose not to put a release behind that like Netflix have done with some of their titles. Yeah, cool, that's a great list, John. Thank you very much. And then Izzy, uh, you can you can bring us home. Uh, I was trying very hard not to pull a sort of Guillermo de Toro on the sight and sound list by listing 36 films in the process of his listing his 10s. So I guess I for me, it's all films I actually watched twice, uh, either on an exhibitor sort of screening link through to watching it in the cinema or otherwise just wanted to see it again. But my first film is um, Decision to Leave. So, I mean, it's a real case of like the absolute madman who's done it again. Like just, he keeps making these perfect films. And the first time I watched it was on a screening link at home. And I was a bit like, oh, I'm not sure. I'm not really in this. And then when it came out, I went to see it at the cinema and was just 
completely immersed. So I think if anything, I love a cinematic experience because it, it, it gives me what a true idea of what I think about the film. Then trying to watch it on a small screen. Yeah, just amazing, amazing work. Next film is The Batman. So that's where I sort of line up with, uh, I think, sort of the, the, you know, the picture house top 10 for admits. I mean, just the platonic ideal of a uh, superhero movie to me, and particularly a Batman movie. I think Matt Reeves is pretty much like a new James Cameron or Ridley Scott just makes great blockbusters, pretty solid stuff. Uh, and my final film is one that sadly didn't get a full theatrical release, but um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which I just thought was beautiful family film like a, a proper family film a proper whereas it's a little bit dark it's a little bit scary you know if you were a kid you'd be sort of kind of half terrified half in love with it and yeah just his love of film shines through so much even when it's not directly about filmmaking you feel it in every sort of tiny little stop motion puppet um yeah so those are my top three We've got good uh, Guillermo del Toro coverage on this list. Love to love to see that. I, interestingly, I, I quite like Pinocchio, but I, I do think it's probably the best shot film I've seen all year, which is quite ambitious because it's, it's stop motion animation. The camera work is so good. And then I looked up who did it, and it's the guy who shot Chicken Run. Also, a very well put together, uh, you know, stop motion animation movie. Um, so, you know, let's hope the uh, the awards bodies can recognize uh, that sort of technical craft that goes into shooting something like that. I've got a couple of things on my list which haven't been mentioned. So, Living, I think, is my number one film. Really worked for me when I saw it in January, first of all, and then saw it again on release. Love that film so much by Oliver Hermanus. And then we've got Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy in at number two. I'm a big Hamaguchi fan, and I love that. After years and years of making movies, he's finally finally getting you know a UK audience he's made he's been making films for 20 years and he's only recently started to get UK distribution on his work um so uh, yeah I had such a good time with that one and then my my third choice is Mrs Harris goes to Paris a pure <laughs> delight of cinema for god's sake Sam ah <laughs> oh, that was it's, I was on cloud nine you know it's, it's it's Paddington Bear with Leslie Manville you know what what could be better and um, Isabelle Hubert Isabel Huppert and and uh, you know Jason Isaacs and a whole bunch of people. It's it's you know it's it's big. It's full of ham. Um, but I had a had a great time uh, there. Um, and I, I hear there's more books about Mrs. Harris, so maybe we'll get a cinematic universe uh, with Leslie Manville, a multiverse <laughs> um, of Mrs. Harris. <laughs> CGI. <laughs> I guess we're sort of coming to the end, but uh, yeah, as we sort of reflect on this year, um, w- what sort of excites you about uh, you know what's on the calendar for next year? If you could pick one film uh, to uh, to sort of draw people's attention to, uh, where would you start? And uh, Izzy, let's go to you first. It's a hard one because unfortunately, um, the film I, I would have said for next year has been moved to 2024, which is Mickey Seven. But um, <laughs> I wanted to be very art house and very like filmy about it, but in truth. It's probably the new Mission Impossible film. Dead Reckoning. <laughs> yeah, part one. I So when I saw Fallout, I'd never seen any other Mission Impossible films. And I watched it with my friend who participates in October every year. So a month of Tom Cruise films in October. <laughs> um, and was like, well, we should watch the rest. And I don't recommend watching them all consecutively as I did day after day. But... Um, I just love to see a short man perform dangerous stunts. It's like, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I have to say that. That's what I'm most anticipating. That's what I think everyone should be going into the cinema 
to see. That's the only way you're seeing that film. Well, there was that amazing leaked footage of him like on a train that flies off the edge of a cliff and he's got a parachute, like a madman. When he yeah, goes I'll... to space in the next film. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> happy, to, happy to watch that. Okay, so that's Dead Reckoning. That's a big summer release, isn't it, in 2023? Um, okay, it's on the list. John, what would be your... Uh, what's, what are you looking uh, forward to most next year? Well, I, I actually had got Mission Impossible written down, so I'm going to change it. There are two things. I can't choose between the two of them. The new Indiana Jones, just because I love the look of the trailer, and John Wick Four, because I'm a bit of a John Wick fan, and Scott Atkins is in it, and I know Scott and uh, Donnie Yen. It it looks great, so I'm looking forward to seeing those two. I snuck two in there. Apologies. <laughs> that sounds like a good double build: a Dial of Destiny and John Wick Four. Lovely stuff. Uh, Carol, what's top of your list for 2023? Obviously, Oppenheimer and Barbie, and Cocaine Bear. And um, <laughs> the the one I want to see the most of all is June Part Two, because June was something else on the big screen. We've got the heads up, but everyone should go and see Babylon on the big screen as well, because it's awesome, and you need to see it on the biggest screen possible. So it's screen one at Central. Yes, screen one at all picture houses. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. No, it's a big film. Deserves to be on a big screen. Uh, that's a great list. I, uh, I Yeah, Cocaine Bear listeners, if you haven't seen the trailer, please uh, go and watch that. And yeah, we've got Oppenheimer, the new Chris Nolan. We've got Barbie, the new Greta Gerwig. And yeah, June part two. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, currently both Barbie and Oppenheimer are on the same day, aren't they? And um, I'm hoping that maybe we can do like a special split cover on our magazine, Picture House Recommends, one with Barbie, one with Oppenheimer. <laughs> That's the dream. Um, I'll see if the distributors are keen to go up against each other. Yes. <laughs> Especially as Barbie is Warners and they used to have Nolan. So it's kind of like a fun Ooh, you know, grudge yeah. match. <laughs> No one's moving off of those dates. <laughs> no, no, they're gonna, they're gonna like just properly like play chicken until the very end. Slug of it out. <laughs> um, Claire, what are you looking forward to most next year? Everybody said all the stuff that I'm looking forward to. Mission Impossible, absolutely. Indiana Jones. Feel fa- I got really teary eyed with the Indiana Jones trailer, e- even with a digitally enhanced uh, Harrison Ford. I just remember taking my kids as family outings and I think the fact they've got Phoebe Waller-Bridge in there to give it a bit of you know currency um, can't wait for that like Carol Babylon we've seen and it's a cinematic experience if ever there was one and if you love cinema come and see it in our big screens but yes I, I think there's a, a lot of exciting films to to get um, thrilled about next year and uh, we'll be showing them. Absolutely. No, like all of these films, I think we're as a team really excited to, to screen. Um, I think something that's on my list, again, a film that we've been lucky enough to see early, um, but Tar opens in January, uh, starring Kate Blanchett, directed by Todd Field, who hasn't made a film since Little Children about 15 years ago, but is also a sort of celebrated actor. He was in Eyes Wide Shut, the Stanley Kubrick's final film. Tara, I think, is a masterpiece. And if it was released this year, it would probably be my number one film. So I have to say, you know, keep an eye out in January for Tar. Uh, you could see it just before you go and watch Babylon. Powerhouse performance from Kate Blanchett. And, you know, she, yeah, it just sort of came out of nowhere on, on sort of the festival scene this year and, and was winning rave reviews. But it lives up to the hype, in my opinion. So if you haven't seen it yet. I, I think it will be in my top five of next year for sure, Tar. 
the other thing I'm looking forward to next year, which hasn't come up yet, is there's a new Wes Anderson film. Um, we have Astro City uh, coming out in June, I think, or some point over summer. And it's, uh, he, you know, Wes Anderson's on to Universal uh, for this one, Left Searchlight. Um, a bit like Chris Nolan going to Universal for Oppenheimer. And I just hope they do the wonderful merch that... Um... <laughs> That's what we want. Wes has always had. We love a bit of Wes and and hopefully they'll carry on that sort of uh, relationship and we will definitely be a good home for a new Wes Anderson film. Um, So yeah, I'm I'm always excited by a new Wes Anderson movie. Should I, um, I'll throw myself from the wolves and say I want everyone to go see The Fablemans, um, which was probably my favourite film, if not counting UK theatrical release of this year, which I know is not the popular opinion, but um, yeah, I adored it, so... If people take the chance. It's a big love letter to cinema. I think that's a through line in January, isn't it? With Empire of Light, Fablemans and then Babylon. Films about making movies and films about watching the film at the cinema. Go um, see so you them can all. Do a nice triple bill. Go, go and see Buy a Pitch House membership for Christmas and go and see <laughs> all the films in January. But save a few tickets for Barbie and Oppenheimer and Indiana Jones later in the year. <laughs> um, all right. So I think that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for your time today, folks. We're recording just, just before the Christmas break. So hope you all have a good one um i'm gonna head off to uh, start watching some christmas films after this i've got elf i've got it's wonderful life uh die hard all on the cards what about the holiday sam uh i you know i mean the holiday <laughs> is on in my mind every single day <laughs> uh i thought we'd get through the whole podcast without mentioning it but yes i will be re-watching the holiday and releasing more episodes of my podcast the holiday season <laughs> Uh, all right everybody thank you very much i'll see you in the new year thank you thanks very much have a good one